Hello, Redstone community. This is Jeronica with Army Community Service, Victim Advocate. And I am here today with Addie Wagner, and I will let Addie introduce herself. Hello, thank you for having me today. I'm Addie Wagner. I'm the Development Manager with Crisis Services of North Alabama. Thank you, Addie. So today we are going to talk about a very important topic, and it's domestic violence or interpersonal violence. You may see it both ways, and we are going to focus on marginalized communities as it pertains to domestic violence and just basically individuals that are typically or can be too easily overlooked and the importance to acknowledge and be willing to just expand any perspectives and overgeneralizations as it pertains to how domestic violence can impact the communities that we're going to discuss today. So as you may know, October is Domestic Violence Awareness Month, but when you work in the field, you, you recognize the need for education and prevention on a continuous basis. Mm -hmm. Let's get into it. We talked about domestic violence and, and how, how we define it and, and the types of abuse. So in terms of just defining it, I love your definition. So I'll have you throw it out there again. Sure. Okay. <laughs> When I think of uh, intimate partner violence, I think of behaviors used to exert power and control over another person, specifically in the context of an intimate partner relationship, such as coercion, harassment, threats, intimidation. It could be physical, emotional, psychological, financial, even sexual. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And so the three communities I kind of want us to focus on today, and I'm, I'm adding one just because it, it came to mind when you gave your definition again. So one being teenagers, mm -hmm. the other being the LGBTQ community, and then men as victims. And so in each instance, I think it or it has been my experience as a victim advocate when having the discussion about the presence or the, the significance of domestic violence, I've seen it quickly downplayed. Mm. And that is, well, one wrong, and we've got to be really intentional about correcting just these sort of preconceived notions about what it looks like or who can be impacted. Offline, we had talked about same-sex couples or just or with within the LGBTQ community, but to also include transgendered and non-binary persons, individuals as well. Mm -hmm. So, and then we talked about men, and we'll definitely get to that. But I I wanted to add teens because that is also a significant population that is really easily minimized yes in terms of what could be going on or the seriousness yes of it when you think about teen interpersonal violence domestic violence what do you what do you think of what comes to mind for you 
I think about the fact that young folks, specifically the 12 to about 25, 24 range, has one of the highest rates of intimate partner violence or dating violence, Mm -hmm. as we call it, specific to that demographic population. And what we know about teen dating violence is that it affects one in three teens. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. That's huge. That is huge. That is huge. And I think when we when we think about teens, right, what we also have to think about is not just that, you know, domestic violence, interpersonal violence is physical abuse, right? But when we think about the emotional, psychological, verbal, and the harassing and even menacing behavior, right, to include how social media mm-hmm. can be weaponized That is something that happens across the board, but I think we see that a lot with teenagers as well, Uh, teenagers um, especially, how that's weaponized. And so, but let's, you know, be very clear that physical violence is is occurring within the context of their relationships. One thing, like, let's just put it out here. So parents or caregivers, even though you may not allow or have not approved of your teen to date someone does not mean that they're not dating someone, right? And so that also means that we don't overlook relationship dynamics. Yes. You know, within within that context. I think it's really important for anyone who has access to this population to really make it clear, put yourself out there that you are a source of support, that you welcome having conversations, especially the uncomfortable Mm -hmm. conversations about any and everything that may be bothering them. We have to remember, especially at this age, at that, you know, at this 12 to 18 age, what our sphere of influence looks like. And how that's minimized just by default, right? Right. So if we think about how that's minimized by default, that lets us know, reminds us that we have to be even more intentional about saying, I am here. Beyond I'm not judging you. Like, I, like right. let's not think about consequences. I just want to know what's going on. Like, we, we, we can talk. Yes. Right? You can tell me tell me things and not just so here's here's the thing parents so if we say that we have to mean it we do yeah and as a parent of a emerging teenager it can be incredibly difficult to listen to what my kid says without my mom hat on yes yeah but I also find myself I teach healthy relationships to high school students Mm -hmm. in the area and I'm the person who i I Right out the gate, we're going to have candid conversations, Mm -hmm. respectful communication. I expect you to respect yourself and others. But if you have the hard questions, I'm the person to ask them. Absolutely. And I try very hard not to be the the hypocritical parent of (laughs) (laughs) saying that to high school kids that I work with and, and not embodying it for my own kids. But Being that person that they can talk to, I'm amazed at the conversations that these young folks are Mm -hmm. willing to have about their relationships 
and about what they experience in their relationships. And this is not national. This isn't, you know, California or Wyoming or wherever. Mm. This is here in North Alabama. These are students that I work directly with. They are engaging in relationships, Mm -hmm. even if their parents have forbidden them to engage in relationships. They are still having them and they don't know the difference between unhealthy red flag behaviors Mm -hmm. and healthy green flag behaviors outside of some really inspiring videos on TikTok, which Mm -hmm. I know are great for Mm -hmm. spreading the word about consent and such. But in in the context of of our community in North Alabama, they have very skewed understanding of what constitutes a healthy relationship. Absolutely. Absolutely. And as caregivers, parents, PTA, school counselors, what have you, it is up to us as the adults and to some degree authority figures to be willing to listen to what they have to say without minimizing what their experiences are, like you said. Mm -hmm. And that means when they do come to us and say, I feel suicidal or I think think I engaged in sex and I wasn't ready, Mm -hmm. we don't go, oh my God, I can't believe you did that. Yes. Or what could you be so depressed about? You're only 17. Yes. Yes. When we do that, we minimize their experiences as an individual Mm -hmm. person with thoughts and feelings, and we render them far less likely to come forward when something more severe happens or serious happens. Absolutely. So I appreciate that you brought up teenagers as a marginalized population because we do tend to oh you're just a kid Mm -hmm. you don't have bills right puppy love Uh, right you know yes it is it is um definitely especially in the context of there being an abusive dynamic Mm -hmm. or a imbalance in terms of how much authority or how safe it is to assert their, their self within the context of their relationships. Mm-hmm. It is definitely important that we we address that and we recognize it. And, you know, this is it's a critical period in their lives anyway, right? Because it's that we're developing that sense of self Huge. and self-worth and identity and, you know, you, I think if we think back, like it almost feels like an identity crisis in a way, right? It's not just how you see yourself, but how others see you, right? And that's important to you at that mm-hmm. age, right? If we're honest as, a, as adults, like it's important to an extent now, yeah. right? And so, you know, the absence of a job or bills does not negate one's experience. Yes. So, you know, when, when we're talking about these communities and, and what it looks like, I really want us to just be willing to expand that. And as, like you said, parents and caregivers, your first line of defense is really an open ear, mm-hmm. you know, an open mind, a listening ear, and the willingness to affirm their experiences, teens, even in the context of bullying, right? Oh, absolutely. Um, one of the things that I've heard just way, way more times than I like to to think is, you know, well, it's bullying is just a normal part of growing up. 
It's not wrong. It's I like if like if ever if there was like a buzzer, it it is, right. it is not. It is not. But beyond that, parents, caregivers, when we think about it, I really want us to not think about what it looked like when we were in school, what it looked like 20 years ago, what it looked like 30 years ago, because it is so different. You know, I think about, you know, my middle school experience, high school experience. That was before Facebook. Mm -hmm. Right. So if something happened at school, you got respite from it because right. there wasn't this just ongoing cycle or, you know, social media. 24 hour access 24 to one another. 24 hour access to one another, right? Un unfiltered. And it's instant. And it's instant, right? So, you know, whereas maybe something happened and you were concerned about it being spread throughout your school, think about the community or think yes. about, you know, well, actually, I, I don't know how many times, you know, you gone and oh, you've gone viral for the wrong reasons, right? And you mm -hmm. think about what that does to to someone. So when you have your when your teen is coming to you and they're talking about the difficulties that they are experiencing in relationships, be willing to listen. And mm -hmm. I I wanna use the teen population to kind of segue into the LGBTQ community, for instance, because I've also, my experience has been as an advocate when working with different entities or partners is that when violence occurs with individuals who are of the same gender or gender expression, that it's minimized mm -hmm. and that is such a disservice. That is such a disservice to the community and to, the, to that experience to minimize someone's potential for harm just because that person is the same gender. Addie, I consider you a subject matter expert. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> but I really, I want you, I'm, I'm going to pass the mic in a, in a way to just really hear what your experience has been in terms of working closely with that community and being an ally and also what we need to do to educate ourselves and to recognize our own biases or even ignorance to an extent, right? Sure. Like it's ignorance is simply just the, you know, a lack of knowledge, lack of knowledge right? Mm -hmm. What do we, what do we need to do? Because I, I feel like we are definitely, we're missing it when it comes to, to, to this community. Generationally, yes, it's kind of stratified uh, across different generations on how accepting we are. I think the younger generations are getting it right, and I'm super, yeah. super proud of the work that they have done. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. But there's still outdated stigma and myths associated with being a queer person, yes. such as being a queer male yes and you know we have the the leftovers from the hiv aids epidemic in the 80s that really impacted how society viewed gay males yes absolutely huge yeah. and we're seeing a little bit of a resurgence with the we are. the recent monkeypox absolutely and we need to cut that off at the past mm -hmm. but when we look at who reports 
and who formally reports and who tells someone else just in, a, in an informal setting about intimate partner violence, queer folks are far less likely to come forward mm-hmm. because of a number of different barriers, perceived or real. Yes. For a long time, shelters didn't accept male mm-hmm. or transgender individuals or gender bi- uh, non-binary or what have you, it was specific to women mm-hmm. and cisgender heterosexual women. Yes. And we've really come away from that, thankfully, mm-hmm. to incorporate all genders into a lot of different shelters. But there's internal barriers that occur as well. For instance, this may be somebody's first time living in a queer relationship. Mm-hmm. Or their queer community is very small and their abuser is very well liked yes. and is kind of a pillar mm-hmm. and everybody likes them. And so, you know, well, they can't be that bad. Yes. If everybody else likes them, maybe it's something wrong with me mm-hmm. or fear of being outed. We know that some families of origin are not supportive of queer individuals. Yes. And so that family familial base is just not there Mm -hmm. or perhaps they've moved cities to be with someone yes there's so many obstacles that are specific to being a member of the lgbtqia plus community Mm -hmm. that we may not necessarily recognize as being obstacles if we are cisgender heterosexual and stigma over those is is one of the biggest like you said Man-on-man violence is viewed as, well, a man can't abuse another man. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But that's absolutely a fact of occurrence. Yes. Because in a relationship characterized by abuse, there is always a power imbalance. Yes. And it's about exerting power and control over their victim. And so even in the sense with a woman-to-woman relationship or where violence is, is occurring, it is not a cat fight. And if I, if I, if I hear yes. it one more time, I'm going to scream because it's like, once again, we are totally disregarding the seriousness mm-hmm. of their experience, the idea that, or not the idea, the fact that there is a power imbalance, right? Mm-hmm. And so here's what the, the power imbalance looks like. I no longer have options. My options are minimum, right? Mm -hmm. So I am not in control over what my day looks like, what my week looks like, what my month looks like. I may not have in in terms of looking at community support or familial support for a lot of individuals, right, that identify as such. If you have already been isolated Mm -hmm. because of your family of origins, unwillingness or difficulties or refusal, you know, to to accept you for who you are. And then you go into a relationship and you're experiencing this. But this is also what it it was your safe space. And now you're experiencing abuse. Who do you have? Right. Your back. You feel like your back is against the wall. And how can you go back to your family of origin or your friends and say, talk about your experience, especially when you, you anticipate 
that their response will be rooted in blaming you. Right. That the abuse was brought on because of their their sexual orientation or gender identity. Mm -hmm. When in fact, that's not the case. Not at all. Like we said in the in the previous episode, intimate partner violence doesn't discriminate. No. It occurs across all demographic populations. Mm -hmm. Now, more specific to trans individuals, we see additional barriers. Yes. Again, with shelter accommodations. Yes. uh, There's often a separation of identified female at birth and identified male at Mm -hmm. birth. Someone who is trans as well in an abusive relationship may be subjected to othering, as we call it, or their abuser criticizes their presentation mm-hmm. or demeans how they present if they present non-binary or mm-hmm. you know what what yes. reproductive organs they may or may not still have absolutely absolutely and we so no one fall out with me guys but what i have seen is almost this attitude that it's okay to treat or perceive as less than human, mm-hmm. right? So here's the thing. And and I will also like, I will put myself out there in a sense that I recognize where I fall short and understanding from a sense of being able so that when I work with a client that I am validating their preference, mm-hmm. right? I don't get to decide or disregard or even be annoyed right. by someone's decision about how they show up in the world, right? And in the context of what I do, whether I, you know, have on my advocate hat, therapist hat, what whatever as a human, right? Mm-hmm. I want to be respected. And so I owe it to my fellow person to respect them as well, right? Mm -hmm. You know, I I think we've kind of gotten a little too comfortable with this notion that it's an inconvenience Mm -hmm. and it's not. And and we have to be really, really careful because those types of attitudes really create spaces for violence to be perpetuated. Oh, absolutely. It is altogether that is othering. It's putting someone in a in the other category so you don't have to view them as a human Mm -hmm. but regardless of gender or sexual orientation people are people are people yes and each person's situation like you said is different their Mm -hmm. experiences are different and how they perceive their situation is different and each person is still deserving of empathy and kindness yes yes absolutely that brings up another community that is definitely underrepresented mm-hmm. within the understanding of um, interpersonal violence. And that is male victims, but male victims with female offenders. Yes. This has been a hard one to work through as well. Definitely, I believe, severely underreported. Mm-hmm. I think it's also really important to if ever there, there was a time where we needed to look at how domestic violence is expressed mm-hmm. or how it presents outside of physical abuse, is that's really, really important. So one thing, you know, to our listeners, 
want to be sure to remind you of is that you are not less of a man and whatever being a man means to you. Yes. Right. That you are not less than you are not weak being victimized regardless of sex is not an indicator of weakness or strength. So let's just, you know, put that out there, whether we're referencing men or women. Right. Non-binary. It's not an indicator of who or what you are as a person. But I know that when we're talking about male victims, particularly in heterosexual relationships, it is easily like, like laughed off or oh, yeah. like you're going to let her, mm-hmm. you know, do this. Or you're going to let her do that. Or, mm-hmm. you know, how do you call law enforcement? And, you know, here you are 510, you know, mm-hmm. 208 and she's, you know, 51, a buck 30. Who's the victim here? Right. Right. So we already, you know, this this idea, how do I explain this? It's a huge double standard in our society on Terrible. how we view and put female victims in their female victim box mm-hmm. and male victims in their male victim yes. box. Yes. And what we associate with masculinity. Yes, absolutely. And that directly influences whether a male victim survivor comes forward mm-hmm. and seeks for number one reporting formally to law yes. enforcement and number two just seeking supportive services yes because you can go into a supportive emergency shelter without necessarily reporting to the police yes right and so those are two separate yes. uh, two separate things that can occur uh, to to get to safety mm-hmm. but as far as formally reporting mm-hmm Oh, yeah. Oftentimes greeted with laughter by law enforcement Mm -hmm. or the myth of mutual abuse. Yes. And then both parties, we see that often. A lot. Mm -hmm. Um, Both parties are arrested and now the victim has an arrest record. Yes. Or it's the uh, female abuser calls the police on their male victim Mm -hmm. and sends them to jail. Yes. And now that male victim has a record. Mm -hmm. Yes, it is. There are so many barriers to seeking help, I think, when Mm -hmm. you are a male victim. And so and one of something that I have encountered a lot with the male victims that I've worked with has been just being willing, like questioning Mm -hmm. their self and questioning their experience or the validity of it and trying to process at the same time like does this count does this matter you know what what did I do are you taking me serious that sort of thing as right a helping professional in that way being very very clear that you don't have to validate your experience mm-hmm. at all like like at all and it is just as significant that power and balance is just as significant even when you identify as the man of the home yeah 
even when there's the absence of physical abuse, because as we said before, that psychological, emotional, verbal, those are like the building blocks, right? Oh, yeah. You, you build up to a lot of times physical And they abuse. form that foundation yes. of an abusive relationship. Yes. And like you said, even in the absence of that physical abuse, that mm-hmm. psychological. Yes, yes. That very toxic dynamic. It's, it's psychological warfare. It is. Essentially, and it's the same dynamic of eroding that man's sense of efficacy yes oh man you don't make enough money you can't bring enough Mm -hmm. home you don't bring home the bacon or relying on outdated tropes of Mm -hmm. what we think of masculinity and playing off a man's insecurities to make him feel less than yes yes and we have to be so mindful of it right Mm -hmm. and so just like you know we remind you that Asking those insensitive or uninformed questions, how, why, what, like, make it make sense. It doesn't make sense, right? No Mm -hmm. one should have to be responsible of making sense of someone else's poor behavior. Sure. In that sense, when we think about working or supporting someone through their experience, we have to be very mindful not to blame them not to victim blame. Victim blaming, you know, just in a nutshell is, help me understand how you got here. Like, make it make sense. Right? But no, I can't, you know, when you, I have been, right, I'm, I'm experiencing abuse and you are taking very irrelevant factors mm-hmm. and deciding whether or not my experience is significant yeah fits into your definition of what you think would happen to me yes yes or justify i don't i don't see that as abuse tell tell me how that fits yes yes and so when we think about that i want you to to think about how it can be expressed Mm -hmm. right so that is freedom of choice Mm -hmm. do you have the freedom to say yes or say no, do you have the freedom to have relationships, you know, with your family, with your friends, Mm -hmm. in the absence of some type of consequence? Right. Right. So what am I, you know, if if there, if I have to think about, if I make this decision, how is that going to be held over my head? Yeah. And what that looks like. If I go bowling with the guys, is my wife going to withhold sex? Yes. Or the kids Mm -hmm. or something like that. Anything, right? Mm -hmm. And to speak to that, when we think about that, when we talk about feelings, it is so easy to talk about feelings and the expression of feelings when we're talking woman to woman, right? But when it comes to giving men a platform Mm -hmm. to talk about their feelings to include fears, insecurities, lack of self-worth or autonomy. We don't, a lot of times we don't make the necessary space, Mm. you know, for that. And all of that plays into when you are in an abusive, you're in a relationship that has an abusive dynamic, right? Where it's not safe for you, not just say physically, but it's not safe for you emotionally to be there. We owe it. Right. We owe it to you to be a sounding board to help you figure out 
what does balance look like? What does healthy look like? Mm-hmm. What does functional look like? You know, it yeah. doesn't matter that, you know, she can't take you physically. Right. You know, that the very least of it. Right. Right. And even in the context of, okay, she can't take you physically, but the presence of weapons. Right. Mm-hmm. You know, we're in Alabama. We are. This is a pistol packing state. So. You know, the average home, uh, right? So having to think about what physical violence, what awe it entails, right? To include the use use of weapons. So, you know, as an advocate, I always make a point to validate their experience Mm -hmm. and not put them in a position to question why they're here, why they're, you know, in my office. I'm just happy that you present to our listeners wanting you to know that if you have concerns, right, Mm -hmm. maybe you don't fit into the definition that we've presented today, but it's the idea that do you feel safe? Right. And let's look at safe beyond just the physical context within your relationship. And if you don't, let's talk about it. Mm -hmm. Let's talk about it. So I think that's, that's really important when we're thinking about you know being open to the experiences of someone who doesn't look like us Mm -hmm. right be it a male or or otherwise that is recognizing the differences between cultural competence and cultural Mm -hmm. humility absolutely recognizing that we could be competent Mm -hmm. in certain areas yes but not necessarily have humility when we're working with populations or individuals who don't look like us. Absolutely. So that willingness to see, understand, and Mm -hmm. embrace beyond your own experience, expectations, familiarity, all of that, right? So I can can be aware Mm -hmm. of, as in the cultural competence, I can have an awareness, but if I refuse to actually step outside of my comfort zone, my safe zone, then there is no humility. And I cannot help you, cannot be of the best support or give you the support that you deserve if there is no humility there. Absolutely. Yes. I think as a culture, we've focused so heavily on competency But you can't necessarily be competent in every culture there is. Correct. And it's okay to recognize that Mm -hmm. and go, my experience is different because I don't live in your shoes. Mm -hmm. But I can still have empathy for where you are coming from in that I relate to being a human. Yes. And when we adopt that perspective, then we are able to see that other human as a human. Yes. With their individual thoughts and feelings and experiences. Mm -hmm. And that helps us move forward, not only as advocates like you and I are, Mm -hmm. but as caretakers and family members and maybe the fantasy football league where your buddy comes and says, my wife slapped me in front of the kids the other day. That allows us to go, I don't know what that's like, Mm -hmm. but I'm here for you regardless. Absolutely. Absolutely. This is probably going to be one of many conversations that we have because I think when we do have cultural humility that we 
take the blinders off, mm-hmm. right? When, when we acknowledge them, but we, we take them off and it goes back to how you present is not as important or is not significant to what you're experiencing. Mm-hmm. How can I help you there, right? One of my, so my director, Jeannie, one of the things when I go to her with like an issue or for, you know, mentorship in a way, she, let's go back to what are we trying to accomplish here? Mm-hmm. Like ultimately, what are we trying to accomplish? Whether we're trying to accomplish safety or, you know, we're, we're trying to validate, we're trying to work through um, symptoms or experiences, that sort of thing that supersedes who is presenting like external factors right right? so whether you present you know whether it is it is gender identity or sexual preference or race or religion Mm -hmm. um beliefs you know we use those to the extent that it can help us or guide us so that we are acknowledging that whole person Mm -hmm but not to the extent that it separates us or limits how we care for them. Yes. Empathy drives connection. Yes. Sympathy drives disconnection. Yes. Like, you know, our, our savior, Brene Brown says. Yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> yes. But very true. It, it really is. Very, very true. Apathy gets us nowhere. Oh, yeah. You know, we there are just certain things that we cannot be indifferent Right. About their in interpersonal violence, domestic violence is definitely one of them that mm-hmm. we cannot be indifferent about. But especially when it is happening to an individual who we are choosing not to understand mm-hmm. or choosing not to acknowledge or validate. Mm-hmm. That's further stifling an already stifled voice. It is. As we get ready to close out I want to one just you tell us a little bit about crisis services and also a couple of takeaways if you don't remember anything else from listening to the podcast (laughs) what you would like for our audience to take away across the board I'm always anyone I talk to I want one of the biggest takeaways to be the the resources are there whether it be the agency that I work for or Army Community Service or, you know, a a different agency, depending on where you are located. But the resources are there and they're available 24 hours a day. So that's my my number one takeaway across the board. And the second takeaway I would say is just going back to empathy. When we come from a place of empathy, we open the door for somebody to be heard who Mm -hmm. hasn't had a voice. And that's huge. It may not seem like a big thing to go, I'm, thank you for coming to me. Mm-hmm. But that could be the make it or break it moment for them to really push forward to healing. Empathy being our driving factor. Yes. And then I guess the third takeaway goes back to humility versus competency. It's okay to not know someone else's lived experiences and admit that you don't know their lived experiences mm-hmm. and still proceed with their best interests at heart. Absolutely. Absolutely. 
And I think I would say so for our listening audience, of course, to the Red Stone Arsenal community, as an advocate with Army Community Service, we are able to provide advocacy services and also serve as a resource to the community. And if we don't provide the support, we'll definitely work with you to identify a community resource that does, but there's not a question or concern that's too small. And if listening to this just sort of, you know, triggered some things and that you would like to explore, definitely welcome the interaction, you know, want to have a conversation with you about that. And so for us, Army Community Service, we are available Monday through Friday. That number is 256-876-5397. And then the 24-hour domestic violence hotline is 256-508-6613. There were, was something that I would want the, the audience to just remember is I agree with Addie, be willing to learn. Mm-hmm. You know, be willing to to learn and be accepting and recognize that our lack of awareness is our responsibility. It's an opportunity. Right? It's an opportunity, <laughs> right? We don't have to look at it like a liability, but right. we can really look at it as as an opportunity for the males or those that identify as, as males to remember that there is space for you. Mm-hmm. Like there is space for you to have a conversation about a serious conversation, a meaningful conversation about what you're experiencing and you are entitled to support Mm -hmm. and understanding that's free of judgment. And I think lastly, it would be, you know, for, for anyone that has any concerns about what someone within their reach is experiencing it's okay to just say hey I'm here Mm -hmm. you know I don't know what you might need me for or you know when you may need me but just making it very clear that you're an ally in that way and that you you want to be a safe space that's free of judgments Addie thank you definitely enjoyed you it's been oh, a long we haven't so seen much. each other in a long time so <laughs> this is a uh, great conversation that yes. we've had today i'm so so thrilled to yeah. join you thank you i'm super super excited to see you and i knew you were like the perfect person to talk to so y'all at um addy is is really that deal so thank you so much definitely always appreciate the work that you do just how informative you are so even for me like i I'm never not learning something from you. So (laughs) thank you. Glad to be here. Yes. All right. Thank you, Redstone.